The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. I won't be president until January 20th, but my message today is to everyone is this. It doesn't matter who you voted for, whether you stood, who, where you stood before Election Day. It doesn't matter your party, your point of view. We can save tens of thousands of lives if everyone would just wear a mask for the next few months. Not Democrat or Republican lives, American lives. You know, maybe we'd save the life of a person who uh, stocks a shelf at your local grocery store. Maybe it saves the life of a member of your place of worship. Maybe it saves the lives of one of your children's teachers. Maybe it saves your life. So please, I implore you, Wear a mask. Do it for yourself. Do it for your neighbor. A mask is not a political statement, but it is a good way to start pulling the country together. I want to be very clear. The goal of mask wearing is not to make your life less comfortable. It's to take something or take something away from you. It's to give something back to all of us, a normal life. The goal is to get back to normal as fast as possible. And masks are critical in doing that. It won't be forever, but that's how we'll get our nation back, back up to speed economically. So we can go back to celebrating birthdays and holidays together. So we can attend sporting events together. So we can get back to the lives and connections we shared before the pandemic. It doesn't matter whether or not we always agree with one another. It doesn't matter who you voted for. We are Americans and our country is under threat. And now we're, we're now called to, to do the same thing that generations of proud Americans have done when faced with a crisis throughout our history. Rise above our differences to defend the strength and the vitality of our nation. You know, that's the character of patriots. That's the character of America. We have to do this together. Wearing a mask may seem like a small act. Maybe you think your individual choice won't make any difference. But throughout our history, throughout the history of our nation, we've seen over and over how small acts add up to enormous achievements. It's the weight of many small acts together that bend the arc of history. You know, I know there's nothing that the American people can't accomplish when we work together as one people with one mission. We can get this virus under control, I promise you. We can rebuild our economy back better than it was before. We can address race-based disparities that damage our country. It's in our power. So let's wear a mask. Let's get to work. Thank you. May God bless you. And for all those who've lost somebody, our heart goes out to you. We know what it's like. Our heart goes out to you. May God protect our health workers, our health care workers, 
and all Americans. Thank you. Okay, that is the president-elect Joe Biden there giving his first COVID-19 briefing, also announcing today his transition advisory board. The president-elect saying just a few moments ago, quote, the challenge before us is now still immense. It is growing. There is need for bold action. The president-elect also laying out a series of initiatives, including a core of contact tracers, he says, uh, much more testing, the scaling up of therapeutics, and ultimately a vaccine. The president-elect also discussing that news today, the groundbreaking news that we got uh, from Pfizer and the progress that it is making on its own uh, vaccine. We will spare no effort to turn the pandemic around, said President-elect Biden when he is sworn in on January the 20th. Let's wear a mask. Let's get to work is how he concluded those remarks, did the President-elect Joe Biden just a few moments ago. Kayla Tausche watching it all for us. Kayla, they are moving forward, even though the uh, current president of the United States has still yet to concede this election. And without that concession, the transition team, Scott, uh, will not have access to federal funding and meetings with their official counterparts within these agencies to move forward. But even so, the president-elect had a roughly hour-long briefing with his newly announced COVID-19 task force. We are still awaiting an official readout of that meeting from the pool that is traveling uh, with the president-elect. But you heard in those comments he was attempting to depoliticize the wearing of masks and reaffirming his belief that the next few months of this virus will be a dark winter for America as cases, hospitalizations and deaths unfortunately rise. It's worth noting, Scott, as he talks about the health effort that his administration will put underway, that they have also on the transition website uh, underscored what they believe is needed from a financial perspective. He believes that they will need emergency funding packages for schools, funding for PPE for small businesses to sustainably reopen, and then a renewable fund for state and local governments that are facing budget shortfalls so they don't have to keep going back to Congress for more money, which we have seen has become an incredibly partisan battle on Capitol Hill there. He also believes that there is an additional $25 billion needed for vaccine development and deployment. And Scott, even as this pandemic has ravaged the country under the watch of President Donald Trump, it is now up to the president-elect to oversee the deployment of the vaccine. And that will perhaps be one of his first critical tests, uh, as we see even this amazing news from Pfizer and BioNTech today. uh, Getting it in the hands of the people who need it most will be another challenge, Scott. All right, Kayla, appreciate that. That's Kayla Tausche for us, wrapping up the president-elect, his comments regarding COVID-19. New high today for stocks. A big day, in fact, all across the board in the markets. The S&P 500 hitting a new record high. It's the first high for the Dow Dow Jones Industrial Average, the first record since February. The Investment Committee with me to discuss all of this, all of the broad implications today for your money. There they are. Joe Terranova, Josh Brown, Surat Sethi, Courtney Gibson, the president of Loop Capital Markets. Good to see everybody. Joe, you get the first crack at this today. Uh, It may not be the finish line, uh, but we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. We, we certainly can. And I think what's interesting about today, and first of all, I think today is a day where you're really stress testing the holdings in your portfolio. Uh, you're looking at what is the performance of select stocks. You don't want to have performance that's worse than the NASDAQ overall. You don't want to have performance that's better than the small caps. You want to have that balance between the two. So you really have to look at specific stocks. But I think what's important here, Scott, is let's remember positioning as it relates to the fixed income market. Because there was, coming into the election, a lot of belief that you were going to get 
fiscal stimulus and you were seeing yields rise and there was positioning accordingly. And very quickly that got reversed. Now that's getting reversed again. We've got a 10-year treasury up to 95 basis points. So we always ask, where does the money come from? I think money comes from fixed income. It goes into both growth and it goes into value. One sector that I think is trading very well today is financials. JP Morgan, Citi, Bank of America, they're up near their highs. There's other names that are cyclically oriented, like Marriott. Marriott was above 130. It's now below 118. So you really have to watch how a lot of these stocks are trading during the course of the day, but expect more money to come out of fixed income into equities themselves. Yeah, Court, you've been, I guess, looking through some of the noise, um, if you will. You were with us the other day. Um, you've been looking forward to the day where we would have good vaccine information. We got that today. So what are you doing now with your portfolio? Hey, Scott, good to be back again today. So it's kind of interesting. My portfolio today, I've really kind of been just watching where I am. As you mentioned, I have been loading up on names that I liked during a lot of the dips, Um, had a great opportunity to have some cash on the sideline to be doing that. And so it's working out in my favor across a number of names right now. I'm clearly most excited, and honestly, I want to jump out of my seat today just on the optimism. Um, We have hope again. And that's so critical. And we have some certainty in our markets. Another critical piece as we think about why we're up here um, today at this point in time. You know, on our desk at Loop Capital Markets today, I spoke to Andy Heilig, one of our traders. We're better to buy two to one. And all of our clients, again, are institutional clients. Um, better to buy two to one. We're seeing buying in banks. But by the same token, we're seeing buys in names like Uber that one would have said, oh, it's, you know, at its high right now. Should you be buying it today? That's showing a conviction in names that once this reopening happens, are going to continue to grow um, as we look forward here. So it's an exciting time, I think, across um, sectors, across names. And it is a prime time for stock pickers to do just that and pick stocks. Well, uh, you know, Josh, it seems as, as though... You know, people are buying some of these things indiscriminately today, whether it's the travel and leisure stock, some of the names that Courtney referenced. Are we supposed to go all in now on these so-called epicenter and, re- and reopen names? Look, man, you know my names. You know what I'm in. Uber, Starbucks. I'm just going <laughs> Simon Properties up 25 percent today. Shake Shack up 17 percent. You know how I'm living. And I'm going to tell you something. We talked about this vaccine being a deus ex machina. And I told you that last week, I said, normally I I mock stuff like that. I laugh at that kind of pronouncement. That one event is going to be so binary, it's going to completely change the game. But in this case, I really felt that it would. And so far, so good. There might be a little bit of a fadearoo in some of these cruise lines as people realize the timetable. Um, But whatever, it doesn't even matter. And Joe Terranova made the most important point. You had $150 billion, I kid you not, go into U.S. fixed income ETFs, $150 billion, taking the total dollar value in U.S. fixed income, which is mostly treasuries, ETFs, over a trillion dollars this year. It's ridiculous. It's earning nothing. It's like lighting money on fire if your time horizon is beyond 10 years. And so you ask me, what do you do now? You buy these stocks now? Well, what do you think that money's going to do as the doses get out there into the economy next year and we start reclaiming our lives bit by bit? You think that money's going to sit in treasuries 
earning negative real returns versus inflation? No, of course it's not. And you know how you know? Because that money is being managed by people like me who have return bogeys to hit to help people retire. So the best thing you could do now is not look at, oh my God, Uber's up 9%, it's up so much. Pull the chart back further. It's done nothing for two years. Pull the chart back on these stocks. Don't let today's action make you think like you're never going to have a chance to buy again. You will. Calm down. Everything's going to be fine. Keep watching us. Stop listening to macro smurfs. Yes, I mean, it's, it, it, it's such good points because one of the questions I was going to ask the gang, um, which is the obvious question, is Josh sort of relays it. Stock's up. XYZ stock is up 15 to 20 percent today. Uh, that's a lot, Surat. <laughs> Can I really keep buying it? Josh says that if you look at it in that small box, you're missing the bigger story. He's right. And, and you know, if you have, if you're fully allocated today, you're having a great day. And if you're not, you're going to get opportunities and they're going to be areas of the market. This, we're, we're going to have a bridge now to when the economy reopens. And there are a lot of stocks out there, to Josh's point, that even if they're up 10% today, 5%, 15%, if you look back a year or two years ago, even to January, there are opportunities. And there are opportunities in financials. There are opportunities in industrials. All the companies, you know, even consumer staples, some of the, the, the beer companies. There, there are so many companies out there that were just taken to be dead and weren't going to have any operating leverage, any earnings, and it was just a question of how much cash can you burn. So there is opportunity there, and you pick your spots, and you can come back in. Yeah. Um, it's, I'll tell you, it's, it's, quite, it's quite a day. Um, you know, Joe, just the other day, before we got this Pfizer news, investors that I had been speaking with, I think the over, overwhelming view started to be, and certainly the market started to go there, of a Biden presidency plus a split Congress being pretty darn good for the stock market's outlook. Now you want to layer in some really positive vaccine news. It's hard to imagine a better environment that you could think about moving forward for stocks. Agreed. We called it Nirvana last week. But now what you've also introduced is the possibility for economic growth. And that possibility last week with the formation of potential gridlock, I don't know if we were very optimistic about that. We were really reliant on the Federal Reserve to do the hard work for us. Now that possibility is there for economically sensitive equities to perform well for an environment where we're going to be exhibiting growth. And as I'll go back and say, it's reflected in what's going on in the U.S. Treasury. And it's also reflected, Scott, in the value of the U.S. dollar. Look at where the dollar is trading today. That's a different correlation that we've witnessed uh, previously. Previously, it's been lower dollar equals higher risk assets. Now, we're getting confirmation in not just the cyclical outlook for risk assets, but the secular outlook for risk assets in that the dollar is rallying. I like that correlation. But what, what, what Josh, am I supposed to do if, if I'm not supposed to be deterred by these massive moves we're getting in some of the names? What do I do to the flip side of that? To a, if I own a Peloton today or Zoom today or some of those stay-at-home stocks today, what am I supposed to do? That's such a great question, and I don't really think I have a great answer for it. I own a couple of stocks that are down today because they had been seen as the work-from-home uh, winners or the work-from-anywhere winners. And, you know, now there's like a, a mindset shift that, oh, wait, actually, I might go back to my office at some point before I'm dead. 
Um, certainly, I'm feeling that way. So those stocks are a source of funds today. I don't think that the play is now, oh, short them, because all of a sudden, no one's going to ever get on their Peloton again. So maybe these reactions are extreme. The one that I'm thinking about uh, reloading is CrowdStrike. I'm in the stock. I'm still up in it. It's definitely trading down. The zooms, though, like the really, really, really extreme work from anywhere, um, those might take like a few weeks of pain. So I'm in that. Um, it's, not a, it's not a massive position. I really don't know what to do with it, though. I'm not sure if I'm ready to uh, get out of it just yet um, because I want to be realistic about you know, what this winter is going to be like and how important Zoom has become societally. Like, I, don't, I don't think that's just going to go away just because we return to the office. Court, how do you view that same question? If, if someone watching us is owning a bunch of these stocks and, and enjoyed all the fruits of the run up, are they in danger of feeling a lot of pain on the way down? Is it, is it time to get out of, of some of these? Well, I think it's, it's, it's a multi-pronged uh, question, Scott. And I, I do want to also go back to this liquidity factor because it's so, so critical, right? You have the Fed already telling you we're still going to keep rates low. You have five trillion or so in money market funds that are on the sideline, two trillion in PE money behind it, right? So when you think about all the cash that's been sitting on the sideline and still sitting on the sideline, there's a lot of money people still have to put to work. And so when you ask about those names and should you be out of them, you have to think about fundamentally, is something changing in those companies? Do you really think, like Josh said, that we're no longer gonna use Zoom when we go back to the office? No, what we've realized is how to be more efficient at work. And so instead of me getting on a plane and flying to Shanghai to do business, I now can do a Zoom call instead at 3 a.m. and still wake up the next morning and, and get, have breakfast with my kids, right? So I think what this has allowed us to do is think about how to be more efficient. Not saying we're not going to go back to work because I'm like, Josh, I want to see my colleagues. I want to go into the office. Um, I want to still get on my Peloton bike. I really, really love my treadmill. And my sister's buying one and can't even get it until December. Right. These are not names, Scott, and I, I, I'm going to come off here, but it's these are not names that are going away. Can you take some money off the table potentially if it hits your price target? Yes, do it, but reallocate. Reallocate to places you like. All right, let's bring in a couple voices to our conversation today. Very familiar ones, of course, to our viewers. Tom Lee, Fundstrat Global Advisors. He's the head of research there. Brian Belsky, BMO Chief Investment Strategist. Guys, good to see you on what is a very big and obviously optimistic day for not only investors and this stock market, but for America at large. Tom Lee, I go to you first, and I think for obvious reasons. You, you have told us all along the way to do our best to look through uh, the noise. The numbers, cases continuing to go up to focus on the bigger and longer term picture. And here we are today seemingly doing that. Give us your thoughts. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think today's a really good reminder. Uh, and, and Josh and Courtney mentioned this, that there's another playbook that people have that they stuck in their drawer on investing, which is once we get through covid and we can see the beginning and the end, you know, through vaccine or therapeutic, <clears throat> there is a really strong cyclical recovery that will take root because everyone's been frozen, but everyone figured out solutions. So there's tons of operating leverage. And so I, I think that this is just only a, maybe a one quarter, <clears throat> even a tenth of a step in what kind of move we can see once the economy gets moving. So I think you know, it's a great day for epicenter stocks, but I, I actually think it's only a 
baby step uh, in, in, in front of a, what could be a lot, much larger move. Yeah. And, and Brian Belsky, as I as I laid out, the market was already feeling pretty good about the political climate that it had found itself in. However, unexpected to some, no blue wave. At least there's a runoff in early January in the Senate, but certainly there's no blue wave. The market got behind the idea that a Biden presidency, the split Congress was going to be pretty darn good for investors. Yeah, I really did. Thanks so much for having us today on this monumental day. I, I would say this. It just harkens back to 1995, 1996, and even more recently, 2019. I don't think enough people are talking about the potential uh, of a Goldilocks-type scenario. And I think we'd all like to be really smart and try to pick the bottom and cyclical in value. But we have to remind people that the stock market is a market of stocks. And as we said in our March 23rd note, that we believe the next 10 years of the bull market, part of our 20-year bull market thesis, is going to look much different than the first 10 years, Scott, meaning more about stock picking, more about themes, more about bottoms-up fundamentals. And I think today is a wonderful example of how to do that. Now, on a day like today with Peloton and Netflix getting hit, those are brand name category killer stocks that you want to own. Pick your spots. When you take a look at retail, you've got Ross stores and TJ Maxx up around the similar type of a percentage. Pick one of them because at the end of the day, retail is still going to suffer uh, on a secular basis. So this is a quintessential stock picking moment for U.S. stocks, which we still favor overall in terms of equity assets around the world. The, the interesting thing, though, Tom Lee, is, you know, from the investors that I talked to, you know, post-election night and the, and the few days after until Biden was declared the, the president-elect, was that it was going to be such a good environment for stocks, okay, you're going to get some spending under a Biden, uh, but maybe not as much if you had a Democratic sweep. Rates would go up, but not, you know, through the roof. A bond market wasn't going to go crazy as the way it was was told to me uh, by a big investor. You do have rates, Tom, moving up today, 95 basis points. What happens if that part of the Goldilocks scenario gets upset? and rates continue to rise? Is there a level that just gets too upsetting for the stock market? Uh, yeah, I mean, Scott, I think the key word there is level, not change, because, you know, in any other century, even millennium, a 2% tenure would still be a great environment for risk assets, for capital investment, for risk taking. And, you know, if we talk about rates going from 50 basis points to 90, it's still not it's still negative rates as long as rates are below nominal GDP. So I think it's a great rate environment. To me, I think the level of a tenure that would be kind of worrisome is probably more in that 3%, 4% range. So I think for now, it's a risk on signal to see rates rising because I think it's an inflationary signal. And I think another reason to kind of still add to your cyclical epicenter exposure. So you were looking at 3,600, Tom, um, on the S&P. We're there. And you think now we can get how much more to the upside as a result of what's happened politically and now with uh, biologically, if you will? Yeah, uh, you know, we still are pretty early in the fourth quarter. You know, normally it's a seasonally strong period. There's over four and a half trillion dollars of cash on the sidelines. I think people have been very pessimistic about the future, but now with a vaccine uh, and then potentially Europe cases slowing. I think valuation sensitivity is the wrong metric people should have. I think we could still rally another 10% from here. So it's possible that we could be seeing 3,900 uh, before the end of the year. 
because of how terrible this year was and, and how many good things could possibly be happening. Wow, that would be a remarkable move. Belsky, that, that sound reasonable? That's music to our ears. I know I think that stocks are going higher. And I think the key thing they have to remember is the Fed has basically signaled that we're going to be here for three years. And I think uh, I think we a year from now, maybe we'll be in a different scenario. We're 10 year treasuries. But I think Tom's exactly right. This is a risk on period. Our target's 3850 in terms of a best case scenario. I think we could go higher than that. And then we'll see second half of next year into 2022 and how the market starts to broaden out and how we look differently with respect to the construct of the bull market. What if I said to you, though, okay, rates are going up, you're going to get a smaller stimulus, and the political environment may not be as rosy as everybody thinks, at least in terms of the stock market, because what happens if the, the Dems still have a chance to get the Senate through the runoffs in the early part of January down in Georgia, Brian? What, what happens if all of that falls into place? It's a great point, and that's why, you know, for one, it's going to be really difficult for us to put out our year-ahead forecast for 2021 until we know kind of the construction of the, of the Congress. If you think about this, we're still bullish with respect to our market targets, Scott, but if you think about the construct of that, we're going to have a negative impact on, on energy, financials, health care, uh, maybe even tech, uh, where on a, on a short-term basis, we are, are going to have the, short, uh, the stay-at-home stocks like tech and communication services do very well, but the Democrats are just as negative on tech in terms of trying to break them up as the, as the Republicans. So I think the construct of the market is going to look a lot different if, in fact, we do see a blue wave. And I think we're going to have, as investors, plenty of time to position accordingly. Look at today, the way that the market's moving. So I think, it, we, I think it's yet too soon to call this uh, uh, a split government quite yet. Let's wait until January. However, it does point toward higher prices overall. Anybody at all, Tom, thinking about the Fed and maybe the, the Fed's own uh, you know, staying power is not as much as maybe it was, uh, I don't know, last week? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, they may feel less, you know, inclined to be providing unconditional support for markets. But I think the time frame is, is important. I think between now and year end, no one's going to try to upend the apple cart, you know, whether it's uh, the risk of fiscal stimulus failing or even the Fed. So I think for investors whose bogey is December 31, it's going to be pretty strong risk on. But you're right. I, I think everything you've raised is, is going to make, you know, the fact that in 2021, even if it proves to be a good year, there's going to be a lot of speed bumps. I mean, in those could either be really big opportunities or things that you need to be managing risk around. Right, Josh. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. There's, there's a lot for investors to still take into consideration. This is a very positive step with the Pfizer news today. Um, it's not the end game. Everybody's not getting vaccinated tomorrow or the day after or the week or month after. So there's a lot that could still happen politically and with science. Oh, yeah. And that is why there are returns available for investors who are intrepid enough to look at that litany of things that everyone's worried about. Let's start with the amount of debt we now have and the deficit that we're running up trying to fight this virus and keep the economy going. Let's not forget about the fact that there are still millions of households who maybe have lost their job forever and have to retrain and find a new place in society to fit in. Um, and then take that and then magnify it all over the world. Europe, same problem. So, yeah, this is not and the political situation. So this is not like, oh, it's the end of the movie and a rainbow comes out and, and we all, you know, march into the sunset hand in hand, of course. But that's why stock market investors earn more than bond market investors, because they're willing to accept the fact that things could go wrong. There will be stumbling blocks, and yet they remain invested 
adding into years like this in the market when things look bleak because they understand the fact they have to eat that risk in order to get the returns in the future that people sitting in cash um, are not going to get. I'm also wondering, Tom, as to whether you think, you know, Josh says it's not the end of the, the movie, but if the if the show has an intermission of sorts for mega cap tech, which is underperforming today, by the way, and had so dramatically overperformed on the way up. I get that there's a lot of money out there that's going to go somewhere. But if a disproportionate amount of that money goes towards cyclical stocks and value, does that take some of the near term luster off of those stocks that we're looking at right now on the big board, whether it is Apple or some of these other, you know, I know we're looking at some software stocks. I'm thinking, though, of the Microsofts, of the Amazons, Facebook and Apple, the big four. Yeah, uh, it's a good point because uh, the cyclical or the epicenter trade is is about 27% of the market cap of the S&P. So if the money's coming from the sidelines and goes into epicenter, it's a dramatic move. I mean, so 10, 20% weeks is going to be possible. But will someone take their 70% allocation out of the mega caps? I mean, I think that like what I'd call dictionary stocks, you know, stocks that have become like one word part of our lives I think they're always going to be great businesses. So I don't see them as a source of funds, but I don't necessarily see them as recipients of this huge inflow. So I, I would say that they're going to maybe track the market, but the real opportunity is going to be in the epicenter. You have a thought on that, Brian, on the mega cap tech? Yeah, yeah, I do. Actually, I, I would think that the theme for 2021 into 2022 is neutralizing these positions. I think it's too soon to do that, especially considering that the increasingly likelihood of a lockdown, either on a state basis or uh, on a national basis, is only going to help these names again. But I do think the neutralization of these names is going to make a lot of sense from a longer term perspective heading into later 2021 and 2022. How do you factor that that in, Courtney? This mega cap tech, where, where it has a role. We, we talked about some of the high-flying growth, the Zooms, the Pelotons, and things like that. What about the Microsofts, the Apples, and the Amazons? Look, I've said it before, and I'm pretty consistent, Scott. Those become consumer staples. And there's a pro and a con to that, right? They're going to be so a part of our lives. And it, I like that dictionary name term, Tom. That's, that's pretty darn great. I mean, when you say you're going to get an Uber, so maybe you don't see 50, 60, 70% returns on Uber, but you're going to continue to see returns. You're going to continue to see growth in those names. So you maybe trim them and maybe you get some of the, the tremendous amounts of you know double-digit growth in some other names. But those names are going to continue to win for the long term, Scott. And um, I don't see any any wind coming from beneath their sails anytime soon. Yeah, Surat, I mean, you've been waiting as a value investor for your moment in the sun, and so have a lot of other people, and there have been fits and starts and false starts and, and all that. Maybe this truly is it. Yeah, I mean, I think I'll take whatever we've been talking about. We'll see how far this goes. It's a nice way to start, um, and I think we need this continuation. We need the bridge to happen. Uh, you know, potential lockdown, potential Congress, but it's a really good way to see it. And I think capital flowing in from fixed income from other areas uh, could come in and really help this. These multiples on financials, industrial, some of them are single digits. So you could just get, you know, a pop, even a 20 percent expansion and still be single digits or, high, you know, low double digits and, and still do well. You feel like buying any of those today or adding to any of the current positions that you have in any value areas, be it industrials, financials, et cetera? 
I mean, if I if I need to put money to work, I don't need to right now. But I think you know the autos could be one area, and even uh, uh, even like a delta. But but I'm not going to get aggressive. I think you'll 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 see the market stabilize. But they're still really cheap. You don't. So you don't. I mean, in terms of those, let's say the travel and leisure stocks. I mean, the gains today are are unbelievable. You, you think it's it's overdone? It's too much. Um. I, I think it's a run a little bit too much. There's some short covering in there. There's some, some, you know, so I think you just wait for it to come back a little bit and it'll get a better opportunity. I mean, of all the stocks that I thought maybe you would buy, GoDaddy wasn't at the top of my list, but you did. I, I did, yeah. It's, it's a, you know, I'm looking at growth at a reasonable price as well, not growth at any price. And here's a company that compounds double digits, 7% free, uh, free cash flow growth, growing in the domain space, the leader with 33%. So it's an opportunity. It's a secular growth story, Scott. It doesn't matter if we're staying at home or if we're going out. Uh, it's a company we like, and we think it's going to do well in the long term. All right. Good stuff. We, uh, we'll take a quick break. My thanks to Tom Lee. Brian Belsky, thank you, guys. Uh, it's been a pleasure having your voices as part of this historic day on Wall Street. We'll talk to you again soon. I know that we'll have more on today's market surge with another big guest. Mark Lasry joins us next. He's the chairman of Avenue Capital. We'll do that next on The Half. You can also tune in tonight for the news with Shepard Smith. He takes an in-depth look at the latest developments following Pfizer's vaccine news, how the vaccine will get distributed. That's the big question, the ethical debate over who will get it first and when it will be widely available. We're back on The Half in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Housing Secretary Ben Carson has tested positive for COVID-19. An aide says he is in good spirits. Carson is also a member of the Coronavirus Task Force. You can go to CNBC.com for more on this breaking story. Vice President Mike Pence appears ready to take some time off. The FAA says he is scheduled before tomorrow to fly to a Florida island where he has vacationed before and stay through Saturday. Pence's office has not yet commented on the trip. New York's Governor Andrew Cuomo saying he expects the COVID-19 positive test rate to increase as we go into the winter. He is expected to make an announcement on further restrictions a bit later today. And some good news from the Netherlands. A rare black rhino was born at the Rotterdam Zoo following a roughly 480-day-long pregnancy. Mama and baby are doing well. Zookeepers have not had a chance yet to see if it is a boy or a girl. But it's great either way because they are so endangered. That is the news update this hour. Scotty, back to you. All right. We appreciate that, Sue. Thank you. As I said, we do have another special guest joining us now, Mark Lazary, the chairman and CEO of Avenue Capital, a supporter of the president-elect Joe Biden. Mark, welcome back. Thank you. How have you been? I've been well. Uh, we've been busy, as I know you have, uh, watching how the whole election was going to unfold. So your reaction uh, as a Biden supporter to what has transpired and whether you're concerned at all about any of the legal challenges? 
Look, first of all, I think it's great. You saw from his speeches um, that it's really more about unity. So I think that's all positive. I think it's something we need. Regarding the legal challenges, they're moot. I mean, at, at the end of the day, um, they're not going to go anywhere. I think it's there, there's no benefit to it. If there was anything that was real, the campaign would have already mentioned it. Um, so I think at the end of the day, we should just move on. Um, you know, President-elect Biden is going to be the next president of the United States in 75 days. So let's start dealing with trying to figure out what we need to do as opposed to complaining about things that just aren't real. Yeah, the, the market seemed to pretty quickly, Mark, get behind the idea of a Biden presidency and maybe yep. a Republican Congress, certainly the Senate, if things stay that way after yep. January 2nd and the runoff in Georgia. What's what's your view from where you sit on Wall Street? Look, I think it's all positive. I think at the end of the day, I think everybody was happy. I mean, other than, you know, everybody who's on the far right or far left. I think what ends up happening is people looked at having a Republican Senate. That's beneficial for Wall Street. Uh, ending up having Biden as president is beneficial for Wall Street. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in Georgia. I think what will happen is you'll um, you'll end up having one you know, one Democrat will win and a Republican will win. So it'll probably be 51, 49. Um, so I, I think right now Wall Street's really happy. You're seeing it with the news. Um, it's all beneficial. Uh, that's really what's going to end up happening. What about this new calculus about the vaccine and this news we got today from Pfizer? I'm, I'm thinking about what you do for a living, what your, you know, your bread and butter is, is looking at distressed investments. And things are feeling a lot less distressed today, Mark. Well, they are, but it's, you know, the question is how long is it going to take for things to get back to normal? The good news is it looks like we'll be there in six months, but companies are still going to need, they're still going to need cash. So I think, look, I think it's fabulous news for the country. I think for what we do, it's shortened our time frame. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. I think, I think it's going to be hard for people who've raised you know, huge amounts of money. I think for people who are raising a couple billion here or there, that'll be fine because there'll be plenty still to do. What about the interest rate equation? You know, we spent a few minutes chatting on election night. Rates had moved up and then they really plunged. You know, you were at 94 basis points, I think it's at one point on election night. You went down yep. into the 70s and here we are knocking the door, knocking at the door again on, on 1%. Is, is there a a level that would upset the market, do you think? No, not at all. I mean, I, I, I think rates will be between 75 bips to one. Um, look, it's, it's just, it's very low, right? And ultimately, at the end of the day, that's actually beneficial for the economy. Low rates um, are good. It, also for the government, you're borrowing at low rates. So I think low rates are going to be here to stay. Um, so I think that's positive for everyone. What about the idea of how how business is going to view uh, the president-elect and then ultimately a, a President Biden? You know, I had reported earlier, now we, we've seen this letter from the IBM CEO to the president-elect, you know, business trying to now put out its, its hand to a new administration and see what's going to evolve there. Um, how do you think business broadly feels about a Democratic administration maybe and the possibility of higher corporate rates and how all of that's going to factor into the earnings picture? Look, I think at the end of the day, what everybody wants is stability. Um, 
and I think they'll have that with President Biden. Um, is there going to be some cost to that? Yes. Was there cost with President Trump? Yes. Right. So, look, there's always a cost to all these things. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I think what business really wants is stability and knowing where things are going to be over the course of the next four years. Um, I think that's number one. Number two, the real question is, and it looks like it, that President Biden or President-elect Biden is going to try to do things much more from the middle, um, you know, where he wants to unify sort of the country. So to do that, I think you're going to see um, you're going to see him doing things more that are going to be beneficial for all Americans. Yeah, that's going to be a challenge in and of itself. Right. You referenced it, it at, at the top, the, the far sides yeah. of both parties, particularly now um, the far left uh, is going to lean on the incoming president for things it wants. It's going to be a delicate uh, balancing act, Mark, that uh, the new president's going to have to do. Yeah, he will. But I think at the end of the day, what he realizes is that if you want to govern and you, you want to end up having a country like the United States, you've got to be more in the middle. Um, because if you're going to the right, or you're going to go to the left, you're just going to have issues. I think that's what's clear about this election is that you need, you know, the country is much more in the middle than people thought. Yeah. Let me get one quick joke turnover. Do you have a question for Mark Lazary? Uh, regarding something in the I, in the I, credit universe or, or otherwise, I, please, the floor is I, yours. Ab, I, I absolutely do. Uh, good afternoon, Mark. Uh, certainly, hey, you and I both you? know high uh, junk bond high, uh, high yields are, are basically sitting about 14 basis points off their all-time low. But the thing that's on my mind today really relates to uh, commercial real estate. I know you follow yep. that closely. We think about here in New York City. Uh, do you think this is a day that kind of marks a bottom for assets that correlate to New York City itself or the commercial real estate market? You know, it, it's a great question. I don't know if today's the bottom. The problem is um, the bid ask is really far, right? So today, what would I pay for that? And where would somebody sell? I don't think you're going to be able to do deals. I think today what's changed is if you're the owner of that real estate, you feel a lot better. Um, so I think that part is really positive. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, you've got to get back to normal. And I don't know what the normal is going to be on the real estate side. Um, you know, I've yet to meet one person in New York, one person who has told me they want more space than what they anticipated, you know, six months ago. It seems like everybody still wants, you know, at the maximum what they have and at a minimum, a lot less. So, I think it's all beneficial for New York. So that part's really good. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that's still going to take some time. Does a uh, NBA team owner today see this Pfizer news, Mark, and, and think about packed arenas again and all the things that were so normal to our lives for so many years? Yeah, I think as an NBA owner, you're, this is great news that hopefully people will be able to come back into the stands. So I think our decision to start December 22nd um, is going to be pretty good. And that hopefully by sometime, you know, March, April, um, people will be able to start coming back into the stands. So I think that it's great for everybody. Yeah. Appreciate your time. As always, we'll talk My to you pleasure. soon. Yep. That's Take Mark Lazary again, the uh, chairman and CEO Avenue Capital. Up next, the big ETFs to watch amid this rally today and tomorrow. CNBC Evolve features iconic global companies who are embracing change and transforming for the future. Join us to hear from executives of Visa, Bayer and IBM more and more. Uh, you can register now at CNBCEvents.com slash Evolve. We're back on the half after this.
What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. And welcome to the ETF portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. Big moves in the markets today. What does it mean for the ETF business? Our guest today, Nicholas Colas, head of Data Trek, and Matt Bartolini, head of Spider America's research for State Street. Matt, you run the Spider Value and the Spider Growth ETF. This is two of the biggest growth and value ETFs out there. Many of these value stocks, like the industrials, have already had big runs in the value space. Banks and energy maybe are still lagging. Is it time to differentiate some of these stocks that are in the value group? Well, I, I think it is because of how sectors are represented within the value space, You know, particularly I think energy and banks are reacting very differently than, say, some of the value stocks that you may find in consumer discretionary. So when we look at the markets today, we see some of our ETFs that cover banks and oil, so KBE and XOP, they're up quite big today, you know, very much up double digits. And I think that's what we're seeing from the market, sort of trying to pick out the winners and losers as a result of the shift in sentiment. Yeah, Nick, you are big on watching flows and ETF flows. How will the vaccine news play into ETF money flows for the rest of the year? Yeah, it's pretty clear that it's going to be very helpful to ETF money flows over the balance of the year because you're going to have both portfolio repositioning for a faster than anticipated resolution of COVID, and you're going to have the natural end of year flows out of mutual funds into ETFs. So those two factors combined can make for a record December of inflows into ETFs, particularly equity ETFs. All right. Thanks, guys. Much more coming up on ETF Edge, 1 p.m. Eastern time. More on value versus growth, gold ETFs, high yield ETFs, and the prospects for trading in China and Asia in the wake of the ant financial debacle. That's etfedge.cnbc.com. Halftime Report is back in 30 seconds. Welcome back. A new book co-edited by our own Josh Brown takes a look at how he and a select group of financial experts navigate the markets and their own personal finances. How I Invest My Money includes another member of our investment committee, Jenny Harrington. Josh, congrats on the new piece of work. Thank you so much, Scott. I really appreciate it. What, what did you learn? Is, you I mean, and, and also, and also thinking, uh, as you hold it up, you know, thinking about your own story, but from these other people who are included, um, is there a common theme that answers the, the question that I ask, at the t- how, how, that you ask? 
Yeah, such a great question. We went to 25 of the smartest people in our industry who are both professional investors um, and and also manage you know manage money, but also are good at writing and communicating. And nobody has the same portfolio. They are extremely different across the spectrum for many different reasons. But the common theme, to answer your question directly, is that everyone's portfolio makes sense to them. And the most interesting aspect of what these financial professionals' portfolios look like is not just what they own, like what asset classes, what funds, what stocks, but why. And when you ask the question why and you force people to really think about it, that's where all the really interesting stuff happens. So I just I, I, I love the way the book came out. It was very unexpected. You're, you're, you're obviously very confident in the way you think about the markets. You always have very thoughtful answers to the questions that I ask and to the conversations that we discussed. Did, did you learn anything new from any of the other people in the book that you will now put into practice in your own financial universe? You know, I, so in some cases, it was just an affirmation of something that I already kind of thought and then someone confirmed. And then in other cases, uh, particularly in the chapters that were done by investors who are older than I am, um, I, I think what I really learned was that I don't have to have a good reason for everything I do if it feels right to me. Um, there's a gentleman named Bob Seawright, who I consider to be one of the best financial writers in our industry. He's got a decade or two on me. Uh, in terms of experience on the street and age. And his chapter is about the worst investment he ever made financially, which is like a beach house, but the best investment emotionally because it's where his family gathers um, all the time. And all of his memories uh, come from, you know, grandkids, etc. So, like, that was the kind of thing I think I needed to read. And that's just one example of many, because um, I've got people who are in their 20s and, and people who are in their 60s having contributed to this book, and, and everything in between. So I just felt really good after reading each chapter and getting a sense of the why behind why people do what they do. I'm told that Joe has a, a comment. And re remember, Joe's somebody who likes to buy high and sell higher. So I'm, I'm wondering what your comment would be about this project, Joe. Well, for my children who are at the age where they now need a financial literacy education, they're not going to listen to me, Scott. Uh, Mark Fisher, who's a friend of the show, would be one individual that I would want to teach them. And unequivocally, Josh would be the other person. Uh, Josh, in terms of his instruction oh, wow. and helping people learn about the markets and educate, uh, is, is clearly one of the best around. And I'd have him teach my children do exactly that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Joe. Um, and, and I'm sorry to make the cut for this book, but we're going to do volume two. And uh, I'm definitely going to ask them to reconsider you. We appreciate that. Uh, hold the book up again. Congrats. Uh, it's a big day for thank you. Thank you. Thank uh, you very I know, much. I know you're proud of it. There uh, on, it is. on sale soon. Yep. Yeah. Uh, on the 17th. is now available. November 17th, November 17th. Is, is the official big day. How I Invest My Money. Josh Brown, again, uh, co-editor there, put the project. Thank certainly you. helped to put that together. All right, let's do Futures Outlook now. We talked about the 10-year highest level since March. Bond prices heading lower. Investors rushing into stocks. As you know today, Jeff Kilberg's following that. So new calculus about rates or what? Well, in the same manner, my Notre Dame football team is moving up in the polls. We are seeing U.S. Treasury yields move higher as well, Judge. So it's a wild day. It's super fascinating to see the U.S. dollar index move higher, stocks move higher, and interest rates move higher. But I think this 1% is going to be an interesting resistance. But short-term, momentum is here. So I want to be a seller. 
at 138 even, looking for a drop down to 137 even. However, I'm being mindful, putting a stop in at 138.16, risking $500 to make 1,000. But you have to remember that there's still $17 trillion in negative yields. That will offset any type of longevity above 1% in the 10-year note. All right, good stuff. Big game it was on Saturday night. I know you were enjoying that. We'll talk to you soon. Jeff Kilberg, we'll do final trades on the other side of this break. Welcome back to Final Trades in just a moment. I do want to call your attention to what we are about to show you on the bottom of our screen there. There had been some change expected within the Trump administration post-election day, and now we're learning of the first of perhaps more. The president of the United States tweeting, I am pleased to announce that Christopher C. Miller, the highly respected director of the National Counterterrorism Center, will be acting secretary of defense effective immediately, Defense Secretary uh, Esper, has been fired by the president, apparently there, and we will see what else develops throughout the day regarding the president's administration. But he is now outgoing Secretary of Defense, is Mark Esper. I do also want to call attention to the fact that at Rick Reeder is calling attention to guys today as uh, we get set to do final trades. Rick Reeder emails and said, I heard Pete mentioning talking about selling vol on the show last week has been spot on and is killing it today. Again, Pete Najarian on our show last week talking about that trade that is paying off in a big way as the volatility index is having a big decline today on this momentous day on Wall Street. Courtney, why don't you start us off with finals? Look, Scott, on Friday I was on and I said by BAM, Brookfield Asset Management, up 11% today since we talked on Friday, and it still has room to run huge alternative asset manager and owns 61% of a renewable energy company. Biden in the White House, I don't care who has the Senate, All right. infrastructure will get done. Okay, Surat, what do you got? Got to be quick. Uh, Delta Airlines, I think it's still got a ways to go. Okay, Josh, then Joe. J.P. Morgan. All right, Joe. Okay. TC, TCBI, Energy Bank. All right. Uh, there we go. I, I wanted to finish just so I could show you uh, the market. Dow right now is good for 1,350 points. First new high for the Dow Jones Industrial Average since February on a big day on Wall Street. Does it for us. The exchange has the story. Picks it up right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.